This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As nurses, we know your mental health matters. It's important to prioritize yourself. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. Just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences, then BetterHelp will match you with the right therapist. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash cup of nurses. As a nursing student or nurse, you know how important it is to have the right resources to help you succeed. That's why we invite you to check out our nursing resource page, where you can find freebies like our cheat sheets, travel checklist, favorite Amazon products, and more. In addition, you can purchase our merch and NCLEX guide. Don't miss out on these valuable tools to help you excel in your nursing career. Visit cupofnurses.com today. Hey everyone, welcome walk up to the Cup of Nurses show here with your hosts, Peter and Matt, two nurses on a mission to change this world, one conversation at a time. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you find a value in this show, please share and review the show. It would mean absolutely everything to us. Cupofnurses.com for the latest updates and the merch releases. For a lifestyle podcast, you can check out wearefrontlandwarriors.com. In this episode, we would like to introduce you to Ben Baker. Ben is a current ICU travel nurse and a new grad coach who assists new nurses in securing jobs at the nation's most competitive hospitals. Thank you, Ben, for being here. Thank you so much for your time. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you became the nurse you are today? Yeah, good question. Thanks for having me today. Uh, I appreciate your guys' time as well and a chance to jump on your podcast and reach your audience with some of the things that I'm passionate about. So I have, there's like a few different influences that really made me want to become a nurse. Uh, I took anatomy physiology in high school and really loved the human body. Uh, as part of a senior project, we had to shadow a occupation of our choice, and I was able to get in with a anesthesiologist. I saw a full open heart uh, right from them, like sawing the chest open to, you know, performing the, it was a AVR, uh, aortic valve replacement. Uh, saw that all the way to them, you know, like wiring the chest back shut. And as a high schooler, that's such a cool experience. It's a really hard experience to get. And it was right in the middle of me being in anatomy and phys. So I'm like seeing kind of the curtain pulled back and in terms of the chests being opened and getting to see the heart pump and watching them stop the heart with a potassium infusion. uh, So that's not beating so they can do their thing on the heart and just such a really cool experience that fired up my desire for nursing even more. And then the last piece in Arguably the biggest one was a camp that I do every year for kids diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. So just briefly on that, because I do have to do a shameless plug for MDA uh, because they're near and dear to my heart, a really cool nonprofit organization. So they host a camp for kids with MD and MD is a disease for those that don't know that slowly robs the kids of their physical abilities. It affects adults as well, yet this camp is centered around uh, mostly kids that have the more aggressive types. Some of these disease strains will strike them later in life, and oftentimes they 
individuals will not even know they have the underlying illness. Yet for these kids, they have some of the more aggressive types that get you earlier in life. So they go from running and living what many would uh, categorize as a normal child's life to maybe falling a little bit at the playground when they're going up stairs or doing you know more physical exertion. And then that progresses to them by maybe five, six, or seven needing some assistance, whether that's leg braces or maybe a walker or like arm braces to walk to by the age of like 12, 13, or 14, oftentimes they're completely constrained to a power chair and they're depending on others to take care of them day to day. And one of the really hard parts to see about the illness is that it doesn't tax them at all mentally. So they're totally mentally alert, completely aware of what's going on, having their independence stripped from them day by day. And one of the things at camp that is so impactful, uh, it's this week-long camp for kids that's like, it's designed for, everything's adaptable. And so all the activities are designed for individuals that would be in a power chair. And these kids come and they go from like kind of being overlooked in society to an extent and being dependent on their mom or dad, maybe a sister or brother for being taken care of to having like this extreme amount of independence, getting to do whatever they want, being the focus of the week, everything is about them. And just to see like how happy they are that week. They are kids that would oftentimes trade like all of your worst days for all of their best days, just to be able to go get the mantle into the driveway or just to be able to cook themselves a meal. And the things that we take advantage of or take for granted rather every day are like things that they would give anything to be able to do. And so it completely revolutionized my view on gratitude, my view on individuals diagnosed with that illness and completely put just like this fierce desire in me to do for others what they're unable to do for themselves. And so that's one of the things that fuels me every day when I'm uh, at work uh, caring for others is the relationships that I've made at camp and the impact that those kids have had on my life. That's amazing. And that's awesome that you found that purpose of wanting to help them and that motivates you because ultimately that's what you need is the purpose, the passion to ignite yourself to continue doing for others and giving value to other people, especially with the disease process that these kids have is very debilitating, which is unfortunately it's very progressive and to the point where they're still conscious yet their muscles aren't moving. So yeah, it's, it just affect, it's just taxing the physical and it almost feels like at one point where you're just like in a tomb where you're buried alive and you can't do anything to yourself, which is so sad and unfortunate. And I wanted to talk to you about the experience that you had as a nurse. You were talking about, you know, phys- physiology, anatomy, getting excited for nursing, becoming a nurse. How is your process being a new grad? What is something that you struggled with? And what is something that you realized in your current experience that new grads are struggling with? Yeah, yeah that's a good question as well, Matt. Thanks for uh, posing that one. So as a new grad, I had what I call like the checklist preceptor. 
And so that's somebody that is like, okay, I showed you how to put an IV in. I showed you how to get the meds out of the Pixis. Uh, I sh showed you how to sync an OG or an NG, what have you. And we've checked it off of your orientation packet. Now you're like, my duty's done. I wash my hands of you. Go and do your thing. And so that was my first experience as a nurse. I was on a, a essentially like a kind of like progressive care light. There weren't vents. There weren't titratable drips yet. Uh, they were chronically ill, medically frail, telemetry, trait. And that was that was my initial experience, was that checklist preceptor. And for me, like, I, I just needed somebody to care more. And so I didn't flourish when I first became a nurse. Like, there was a lot of things that I was, I was hungry to do well, yet... I was, I needed to know how to advocate for myself. Like as a new nurse, I wasn't really good at that. And I was very fortunate to have uh, what I call a mentor. So the difference between a checklist preceptor and a mentor is that a, man, a mentor hears about your success as much as you do your own. They support you in your weaknesses and they highlight your strengths They build your confidence up. They really want to see you do well. And I flourished under that nurse. Her name's Kathy, still a nurse to this day. She's probably going on like 40 years as a nurse. Yet she really ignited like what I wanted to do in nursing, which is to just be this great nurse, this golden nurse to an extent, really make an impact in the nursing realm. She enabled me to be able to do that. So your initial question was, uh, what are some things that uh, you ran into as a, a new nurse and what are some things that new nurses today, you know, could be aware of or um, could bring to the top of mind or, you know, just kind of be looking out for. And I would say one of the biggest things is like, if you have a preceptor that you're not vibing with, that doesn't really seem invested in your well-being. And I want to clarify that, like, as a new nurse, the best thing you can do for yourself is to be aggressive in your learning experience. Like, understand that the preceptor that you have isn't responsible for your learning. Like, you're responsible for your learning. Yet, if they seem to be detached from the mentor, the precepting process, it's totally fine to go to the educator and advocate for yourself and say, um, you know, talk well the person, there's no need for insults, et cetera, yet uh, just objectively state what you're having problems with and mention that you might do better with uh, a different preceptor. So that's one, is that like that's, that's totally fine to do, and I encourage that. And two is that um, Essentially, what I mentioned first is just to be aggressive in your learning experience, to go after uh, like new experiences, go after like if you have a chance to put an IV in, if you have a chance to participate in a code, like anything that comes up uh, to participate in that, be aggressive, seek out new opportunities. And those two things will get you well on your way. And then also just learning to advocate for yourself is key as well. What's up listeners? Did you have a long shift at work or a hard workout? Feeling dehydrated? No worries. We've got you covered with Liquid IV. 
Liquid IV is a perfect solution for those wanting to stay hydrated without consuming all the extra sugar and artificial ingredients in sport drinks. It's a hydration multiplier that provides two to three times more hydration than water alone. And guess what? As our listener, you can use the code CONPOD, C-O-N-P-O-D, to receive 15% off your order and free shipping. Are you looking for a fitness tracker to help you reach your fitness goals? Look no further. Whoop 4.0 is the ultimate fitness tracker, helping you optimize your workouts and recover faster. With personalized insights and metrics, you can track your progress and make sure you're getting the most out of your training. Simply sign up using our link and you'll receive a free Whoop 4.0 and a month on us. So why wait? Team up with a community of nurses and take your fitness journey to the next level. I just want to share a little bit of background of how we met Ben. So we actually met Ben travel nursing in one of our contracts in, in California. So this is one of the benefits of, of travel nursing for anybody out there that is thinking about travel nursing. You can't really do it right outside of school, but more towards the future after a couple of years of, of unit nursing work in a hospital, you could transition. But my question is, is Ben, with your experience, you, you're saying that, that these new nurses need to be aggressive with their learning. What do you think that, that these new nurses, these student nurses, these new grads really, really need? Do they need a higher level of support? Do they need maybe a longer, longer onboarding process than, than six months? Is it more of like the emotional thing? Are they coming to you with, with stress? What are they really, really struggling with? Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, I think that like their choice of where they go in terms of working is key. And depending on where they're at, that can be another uh, sidebar conversation, just like how difficult it can be in metropolis areas to get a good experience. So. The hospitals that are, you know, like Magnet, um, those typically have a nursing focus and have a lot of programs in place to support their nurses, yet they can also be difficult ones to get a new grad position in because that's where everybody is trying to work. So being selective with where they start their, their time is going to, and by time, I mean like where is their first new grad job? Uh, those great Magnet uh, hospitals and some of those high-level facilities. So, for instance, in San Diego, it would be like UC San Diego. It would be Sharp, Scripps, uh, Stanford up in the Bay Area, uh, Cedars-Sinai. Like, these are all top 20 hospitals. Those are really difficult to get into, but they are going to have a better experience and more support for a new nurse. So that's one, is like being selective with where you go as a new nurse. <laughs> Uh, two is one thing that's really difficult for new nurses is like imposter syndrome and that can affect them for years. And so essentially what that is, is like they've put in the work, you know, they've done their associates, they've done their bachelors, they have the uh, required amount of clinical hours, yet they don't feel like they are prepared or they don't feel like they really deserve to be in the spot that they're in. And it's something that happens in a lot of different uh, fields, yet it's very common in uh, nursing, especially with new nurses, imposter syndrome. So that's something for them to be aware of is just like dealing with imposter syndrome and uh, seeking out resources for that individuals uh, for the sake of time. You know, we can or cannot go into what all that entails, but 
that's number two is just being aware of imposter syndrome. That's something that's very common for new nurses. And then I would say number three, in terms of what new nurses deal with is, uh, the importance of taking responsible for responsibility for their learning. So we touched on that. Yeah, to expand on, on that a little more, one of the things that they can do is if they have, this is like a simple implementable uh, activity. And that would be that whenever they have a question uh, for their preceptor or they're not sure how to approach something, going to their nursing resources and diving into things like Mosby's or uh, UpToDate or even Dr. Google and finding, you know, like a, a reliable source on Google, trying to find the answer themselves and then bringing that to their preceptor instead of just wanting to be spoon-fed all the information. Like the reason that that's great is because it's going to show their preceptor that they're serious about their learning. Um, it actually increases the likelihood that they're going to retain the information because they're active in the learning process instead of being uh, just like um, reactive in their learning, they're being proactive. And uh, so they're going to learn faster. Their preceptor is going to be more impressed with how they're approaching things. And that's going to open doors for them as well because um, when they're operating at a higher level, administration is going to be happier, management leadership, and uh, that's going to increase trust on the unit for them quickly. So those would be the top three things I would say. You, you bring up a lot of good points. So one of them is new nurses struggling with imposter syndrome and imposter syndrome started very early on for themselves, even before nursing school, whether it was trying to take a test and you doubted yourself with your abilities where this progressed into being a new grad where you doubt yourself of your abilities that you learn through these experiences to go start that IV, put in that Foley, the NG, whatever it is, insert right with your preceptors. So I think it's very crucial to build the confidence in yourself and your worthiness where you don't have the imposter syndrome because you make one of the points for new grads is to try out these new experiences. But if they're continuously holding doubt and self-doubt, they're going to have a hard time going for these new experiences. They're going to they're gonna rather not do it for the safety of their own well-being, because if you know they're going to feel scared that they might make a mistake that might hurt the patient or they might get upset or the preceptor might get upset at them. So this imposter syndrome is definitely something that creeps into multiple areas of your life as a new grad or just in general, your whole entire life experience. And I wanted to back it up a little bit before even getting into the hospital. So let's just say this perfect scenario, we graduated nursing school, we got our license officially, with the state. What is your process like? What are your tips for new nurses trying to land their first job in these big hospitals or hospitals in general? Would you go on LinkedIn? Would you go to the hospital website? What does that process look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So in there's a delineation that I think is helpful here on the front end before we get into it. In like more rural areas or small towns, et cetera, for example, like this, the regional hospital where there's like a community college nearby that has an ADN program, getting into that regional hospital from the ADN program is pretty easy. Like it's very common for those regional hospitals to use those uh, community colleges or maybe a small university nearby to pull their uh, nurses and they hire 
a lot of the graduates. Uh, so there's not really a large challenge for those small town nurses to get a job right out of nursing school. Now, conversely, in metropolis areas, uh, for me, I'm in California. So like San Diego, LA, San Francisco, uh, maybe on the East Coast, it'd be like Nashville, New York City, Chicago, where you guys are at. It is actually uh, very difficult and highly competitive to get a new grad position. And here's the reason. Uh, in California, there's just under 150 nursing schools uh, in the state, and they're all kicking out about 40 to 50 graduates per semester. And they're doing that twice a year. And so uh, that ends up being like 15,000 nursing students are entering the market per year, roughly. And if they're trying to get into one of those facilities that's going to take good care of them, that's a top 20 hospital. And so here's um, essentially 800 open positions per year, uh, 800 to 1,200 open positions per year with a, a, a supply of 10,000 new grads that are trying to get into those hospitals. And so that's what's happening in California. There's similar things happening in other states, especially, like I said, in metropolis areas. And so that's the reason these nurses are having such a hard time getting a job right out of nursing school. And, and nobody's really talking about it. Like, it doesn't behoove a nursing school to be like, hey, come to our program. You're going to have a really tough time getting a job. Like, do you want to pay us 60 to 80 grand for your degree? You know, like that conversation isn't a beneficial one for schools to have. And they're the ones that are doing the recruiting to get nurses into the program. So it's something that it's like a big pain that these nursing students are experiencing when they graduate. It's like they purchase this $80,000 car, sports car that they're like ready to drive. And then they have to wait a year and work in a place they don't want to, to get the nursing experience to then be competitive to uh, get a hospital job. So uh, Matt, your question was like, how do we, what, what can new grads do and what does the process look like for them going from nursing grad to having that hospital position? Right. Because so, I just wanted to read what you said there is, it seems like there's so much competition where you could do quality over quantity, but sometimes a new guy would be like, Hey, it's quantity over quality may apply to multiple hospitals, multiple organization and see what's going to stick. Where can I get this acceptance or land an interview? Yeah, you got it. You're spot on. So one of the things they can do is, or one of the things they have to do is cast a wide net and apply to multiple different positions. The individuals that I've had the pleasure of working with, these are highly capable individuals. They've graduated from like UC Santa Barbara. They've got like a three, nine GPA. They're bilingual or trilingual. They've had some medical experience, yeah, they're still ha having a hard time getting a job and they're putting in like 20 to 30 applications and having nothing. So it is a requirement. Like you have to at least cast a wide net and put in a bunch of applications. Um, another thing that's key is that like they have their resume dialed, like the resume opens the door and the interview allows you to walk through the doorway. So. To get an interview, you have to have a, a resume that's going to get past what's called the ATS, the Applicant Tracking System, and uh, it has to be one that sells you well on paper. And then 
once you have unlocked the door to be able to walk through it, you have to get an interview. And so not only do you have to get that interview, but you have to nail the interview. So you have to be able to know how to sell yourself in person uh, in the interview setting as well. And then that's what's going to garnish you that win of getting an offer at a like your dream job, more or less, facility that's going to pay you well, that's going to uh, support you well as a new grad, and is going to have the culture that you want uh, where nurses aren't eating their young, yet it's supportive. They want to see you win. Uh, they want to enable you to be aggressive in your learning experience and climb that learning curve. It's a pretty difficult learning curve as a brand new nurse, especially with like a lot of sim lab clinicals during COVID, et cetera. Like students are having decreased um, actual bedside experience in nursing school. So those are essentially the, the top things, the main things that are going to allow them to step into a position faster as a new grad. And Ben, you mentioned uh, the whole interview process where that's like one of the key steps of of getting in, that's where you got to let your personality shine. It's just you, uh, who you are as a person. What are some common questions that, that people might get asked as new grads? Because I'm applying to a new job and one of the questions that I get asked is going to be a little bit different because I've been a nurse, so they're going to ask me different questions. One of the questions that I was asked was, name a time when you were in a stressful situation between a patient or a physician or just a time on, on the unit. And I had to explain the first situation that I had between a patient and a, and a doctor. So what can nurses kind of expect from the interview process? That way they're not so anxious or, or so scared of it. Because I remember me walking in, I went to like a little job fair as a, as a new grad, like the hospital was hosting a job fair and I came in with my white, white nursing lab coat, you know, all happy with my binder full of like documents, paperwork, care like plans. care plan, my research paper, right. all that, you know, looking, looking all nice. And like, you, you, you look all nice, but then you finally sit down and you ask these questions and you're like, damn, dude, I just forgot everything that I've did in the clinical nursing school. Like, I don't know how to respond. And it was nothing really out there that really prepped me because I graduated in 2016. So that was a few years ago. And there's nothing really out there to help prepare you for these, for these interviews. That's like the scariest thing ever, because as a new grad, you don't have any necessarily job history. You're not basically selling them yourself on the fact that, Hey, you had all this experience. You're selling them on, Hey, I'm a new nurse. I've been through school and I have the ability to become this great nurse that you are looking for. So how can maybe new nurses sell themselves or what can they expect from the whole interview or the, or the dialogue or the conversation they're going to have with their manager or the recruiter? Yeah, you're spot on Peter with the, uh, delineation of like, it's a lot easier to get a job as a veteran nurse than it is as a new grad. And once you have that year or two of experience, it's a lot easier to cruise around and get, uh, go to a, a great facility, et cetera. And, uh, but you're correct in that these new grads have a big hurdle to jump in not having a lot of experience and not having been through a nursing interview process. You know, like for a lot of them, this is their first time in a formal interview because they were working a entry level job through uh, college. So uh, it's uh, real life that they're coming into this interview, maybe anxious, um, a little scared perchance. And we know from research that like when our body's releasing stress hormone, when it's pumping out cortisol, like oft for the majority of us, our brains don't work as well when we're under a tremendous amount of stress or anxiety. And so knowing what to expect in the interview process can be really helpful for them. So on that note, there's 
four main questions that they're almost always going to get asked in the interview process. And that'll account for like 30 to 50% of the questions they get asked overall on average. So, uh, number one is the conflict question. Like you mentioned that you got, that's very common. Like tell about a time that you were wrong. You knew you were wrong. Somebody else was right. Whether that's a coworker, doctor, patient, like how did you handle the scenario? Or tell me of a time that you were under tremendous stress. How did you respond? Um, or tell me about a time that you had a disagreement with a coworker. How did you handle it? So with those, one thing they can do is use the acronym SOAR, S-O-A-R. And the reason that the acronym is helpful is because it's like kind of a frame, a structure in their head that's hard to forget where they can respond in real time, even if they're under some stress during the interview. So it stands for situation. Um, I'm going to blank now. We'll cut this part out. Uh, situation, obstacle, action, and result. So uh, situation would be like kind of the backstory. It's almost like um, ASBAR in a sense. So what's the background? Uh, uh, obstacle being like what hurdle did you run against? What was the conflict? Action is like how did you handle it? And then result is what was the positive result? from you taking this action. So some of the things for them to look for when they're thinking about this question and how to respond to it best is it's important for this to be uh, a scenario where you had a positive result, right? You don't want it to like flop and say, this is what I did. And then it all fall, falls apart at the end. Um, this is something that they can start now, like looking for uh, conflict scenarios on the job or um, you know, in school, what have you, and approaching it in a positive manner so that they are kind of friendlizing themselves with responses during the interview. And so the best way to handle conflict, just as a little aside, is to bring that individual into a private location. So we always praise in public and we punish in private. So when we have compliments for others, it's important that we're there's somebody else that's there to hear because it feels great to be compl complimented in public. And it, it makes you look great as well to speak well of others. And then if we have punishment, which could be thing thought of as like correction, if there's conflict, we want to do that in private because uh, doing that in public just is really messy and not professional. So it's important that they start handling conflict in that way, doing it in private, uh, being objective, not talking about like, what that person did and, and kind of like blaming or attacking, but rather talking about how it made them feel like make it about you because conflict goes over so much smoother. When you talk about when you did a, B and C, it made me feel this way. Um, so doing it in that way and then trying to detach from the conversation emotionally and understanding that you're just a person having a potentially emotional conversation that the emotions are on the bus, but they're not driving the bus. They're not in control. Um, that can really help with those kind of scenarios as well. Uh, so that's conflict, uh, like the conflict question. Another question that they can get is, uh, like, what is your, like, what do you bring to the table? Like, what are your greatest strengths? And 
in this kind of a scenario, you're basically just bragging on yourself. That's an easier one to mention, but you want to just talk about like your employable qualities. And it's also important to uh, weave that into a story. And so there's a lot of research as to why that's important, but like from the beginning of time before like handwriting was even invented, well, we communicated information through stories. So our brain is hardwired to remember stories a lot more than just a list of information. And so instead of like listing your strengths, you know, I'm detail oriented, I am a great communicator, et cetera, like that's going to put the manager to sleep. Uh, what's better is to weave it into a story, like something that happened um, on the job, uh, an impactful part of a volunteer experience. Like for me, I would weave all my best traits into uh, telling them about MBA camp and kind of describing the camp, like make it a colorful story, uh, brief and to the point, but uh, that's going to make them a lot more memorable as a candidate. Uh-uh. Uh, there's two more and I'll cruise through these, but third would be the case study scenario. And so, especially at a high level hospital, uh, they're going to have a case study where the manager talks about like, here's the patient vital signs. Here's how they're presenting, like, go, what would you do? And for those, uh, I suggest using what I, uh, created called the metal method. So that's MTIL stands for medications, tests, interventions, and labs. And so if you cover those four areas for the case study scenario, you're going to get all your bases, uh, you know, first, second, third base home run at the end there with all hitting all four of those categories. Um, and then last would be the weakness question. So like, what's one of your greatest weaknesses? And so for the weakness question, the best way to approach that is just to understand that like every rose has its thorn. So your greatest strength is often also your greatest weakness. So if you're somebody that uh, says yes a lot, if you're like a yes person, you know, like that's a great quality to be highly committed and and say yes to picking up shifts and saying yes to helping people out. Yeah, like the downside of that is you can tend to overcommit yourself. And so uh, you, I would focus on that. If you're like a yes person, that's just an example of how like what can be a great strength is also a weakness. So take one of your greatest strengths and think about like when you have too much of that strength, what's the downsides of that and have that be your answer for the weakness question. Um, ben, maybe you could shed some light on some of the, some, some way you could help nurses that are really struggling with certain things. So one of the main things I struggled with was that when things didn't go my way during, during a shift, like if a patient wasn't doing too good or the family was struggling with something like it's almost like I took that upon myself as as almost like a failure like hey this patient di- didn't make it so it's like it's, I had a role in that so you put yourself down it's almost like how do you how do you bring yourself up from that because a lot of new grads I'm sure I feel the same thing where they come into to healthcare become a nurse they want to help people and sometimes you just get beat down where people just for some reason just aren't doing good or for whatever reason they're just not because of 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 your care, it's just people are just very sick and very unhealthy, especially work in the ICU, especially for new guys that are going to the ICU, the ER, maybe a step down unit or a neuro unit where a lot of times patients just don't progress. They don't get better. They digress versus versus progress. And you're going to see a lot, of, a lot of death, a lot of sadness, a lot of, a lot of just people crying. And you take on that almost like that emotional responsibility as like, damn, this is almost because of me. Like, what the hell am I doing wrong? that these patients are just not doing well. 
because it's hard for you to you to say that hey people just died because you feel like you do have an influence on this so how do you kind of bounce back from that how do you not put yourself down after those after those hard shifts because for example one time i had a patient that at least got got up from the chair to the bed and had a stroke on me and i was like damn man i should have like checked his blood pressure before i got him up or something like that and i was like pointing out how much things that i did wrong and not realize that hey this person just stood up and yeah and he had a stroke there's nothing that that, that could have been done it just like that just happened just because they had an elevad and it just they were there you know they weren't doing well they're there for a reason and this just happens to just this happens to anybody but it's hard for you to realize that so how can you you advise for a nurse that's struggling with this kind of stuff to to bounce back and not put themselves down at home from every shift because working plays a big role in your life 36 hours goes to the hospital and it's literally 36 hours of you beating yourself up in the hospital and then you bring it at home so how can you kind of push yourself away from that and kind of realize that hey you're doing the best that you can and you are providing good care some stuff are just not in your hands you got it and you bring up a really important point and something that is arguably one of the hardest parts about nursing and that's the emotional toll that it can take i think that individuals that are empathetic like empaths do struggle with that more and i think there's kind of a continuum of like people that compartmentalize better and don't struggle with that as much. And then there's individuals and even a lot, maybe even the majority of nurses that are very empathetic individuals uh, that do feel that emotional toll because we're working in environments like you mentioned that people are experiencing the worst time of their life. And we're always in that environment. You know, like going to the hospital unless you're having a baby is never a highlight for people. And so, how do we handle that as nurses and how do we properly process cope with those high intensity emotional times and then also to what you said when we're seeing uh, a patient's health regress we're seeing them crump as we, we like to call it and we're blaming ourselves or thinking of reasons why maybe that was like, what did we contribute to that? How do you deal with that? So, um, an important part, uh, is just to have like, uh, an outlet for those emotions. So, and, and you guys are even, you know, I welcome you guys to contribute. I know that you guys do a lot in the, the health field. So, you know, if you guys want to mention some of the things that you do to cope in that regard and blow off some steam, et cetera, but working out, uh, breath work can be really helpful. Having somebody to talk to. So, you know, creating a connection on the unit of a more senior nurse, somebody that you trust, and then being able to have those conversations when it's appropriate to be able to release uh, what you said without fear of judgment or without fear of um, thinking that you're going to get in trouble kind of a thing. That's super helpful to get insight from somebody that's done it for a longer amount of time, has processed through how to handle those situations. That's really helpful. And then the last thing I'll say is the last thing I'll say, and then I want to hear maybe how you guys handle stress and, and some of the things you guys have done, you know, Peter, you experiencing that yourself, like what were some ways that you got through it before we do that? Like the last thing I'll say is, um, when you have a scenario like that, where you feel like you made a mistake or you feel like you let the patient down, et cetera, there's two, 
two elements to that scenario. One is the lesson that it teaches you. You know, there's a lesson, you're never going to make that mistake or error again, or, you know, even if it wasn't an error and just something that happened, you're going to have increased awareness around patients with similar presentations, or maybe you do something proactively to increase the chances of that patient having a positive outcome. So there's the lesson and that's the goal. Like that's what you want to hold on to. Every other thing surrounding that, the guilt, the shame, beating yourself up, um, being hard on yourself, getting down, uh, doubt, like you mentioned, Matt, like none of that serves you. It only serves to increase your cortisol levels, make you stressed out, decrease your satisfaction on the job, make you want to quit. And so what's important is to take the gold that's there and then all the dirt that surrounds the gold, that needs to get tossed. Uh, you need to release that. You need to realize that that is your enemy, that it's out to get you in a sense. It wants you to throw in the towel and that's its only goal and that's the only thing that it's good for. So taking the gold, taking the lesson, adjusting your practice from then forward, and then throwing out the shame, the guilt, getting down on yourself, realizing that that is destructive, it's corrosive, it's going to tear you apart, and releasing it through whatever avenue you know you desire, whether that's working out, breath work, et cetera, um, mentally, uh, maybe some meditation, talking to somebody, finding a way to release the rest of that dirt is super key to um, not taking that stuff home with you, not letting it get to you. You bring up a lot of good points. One thing I want to just emphasize, something I'm just thinking about right now, being a new grad, being a nurse, and now like getting into all this mindset stuff is we could have all these creative outlets to steam the the buildup of all this frustration or the guilt and shame that we're feeling. But ultimately, we have before that even happens is just like if you're doing inner work on yourself, right? You're going to journal and meditate and see what is your inner dialogue. If you're having those self-limiting thoughts or just like you said, those negative thoughts, they're not serving you, but only increasing the cortisol level in your life. So if you are a new nurse or any kind of nurse that's struggling with something that you feel guilty, shameful about that you did on your shift, just detach yourself, just like you said, from those emotions because they're those emotions are just on the bus, right? They're not riding the bus. So therefore catch yourself when you're saying something limiting to yourself where it's not serving you. Like, I should have done this. I'm such a bad nurse. And like, hey, I am not a bad nurse. And you just reframe that language because if you don't reframe that language on the subconscious level, you're going to continuously having that buildup of frustration, shame, shift after shift. And yeah, you could get off your shift and go work out and blow off that steam, but that's still a band-aid approach to the main core, which is you talking down to yourself. So any nurse that's listening, just like you're doing self-care for yourself and journal, maybe you could journal about your shift or take 10 minutes to meditate on it. And, you know, maybe you're going to have something negative that pops up during your shift. Self-soothe yourself. Hey, I did everything I could have on that shift or in your case, right? I did everything right. I checked his vitals. They were good before I checked his labs. Nothing, nothing that I could have done would have prevented this from happening. Just so you, just to reframe that negative story that you told yourself. Yeah, that's a really important reminder, Matt. And it makes me think of two things. One is a really good book recommendation that deals with all that stuff that I, it's revolutionized my self-talk and it's called Untethered Soul. I think it's by Michael Singer. 
And really good basic book. about the roommate. What's that? It's about the roommate, right? It's a good book. Yeah, for sure. It's that individual in your head that like he's always talking to you and being able to kind of like change that self-talk and also detach yourself emotionally. Like that's a really hard thing to do. Like percentage wise, I would say 99% of people don't do that well. And we get caught up in emotions. We kind of go down that rabbit hole of like responding emotionally and just getting kind of drowning in emotional responses, whether that's getting angry or sad or frustrated or anxious. And so it's a really good book on how to detach from that and manage that. Such a good book. I love chapters six and seven. Like those are my, I like read, listen to those all the time. And then the other thing I was thinking about um, is um, another book that I read. I can't, it, uh, I can't remember the title right now, but essentially what it talks about is like how in our minds, like our mind is capable of having thousands of thoughts even per second, just because um, the brain is so efficient, but sometimes it can be our downfall. And so you had talked about the importance of writing things down, Matt. And what that does is like we have all these swirling thoughts and they can shape shift and they're kind of liquid when they're in our head. And and in terms of like they can um, just really get blown out of proportion. Yet when we journal and we write those things down, basically we're, we're commanding them to enter a concrete state where we can objectively look at them on a piece of paper and be and analyze them. We can be like, gosh, like this thought process is totally faulted. Um, why am I worried about A, B, and C? And, and that's a huge benefit of journaling, writing things down is just taking the th thousands of thoughts that can shape shift and get us worried, anxious, whatever, stressed out in our head, commanding them to take their concrete form on a piece of paper. And um, so I, I appreciate you mentioning both of those things. And Ben, what is Next Level Nourish? Why did you start it? What can people expect from it? Yeah, you got it. So a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago now, I started a program called Next Level Nurses. And initially it was going to be like a mentorship program just because my experiences as a new nurse, uh, needing that mentor over a preceptor, uh, how much I thrived when I had somebody that cared about me as much as I did my own success. It was initially going to be just like a mentorship program. And then as I was getting that out to the public, one of the things that I found is that like before they need a mentor, they need a job. And I figured out how hard it was for nurses, uh, to, new grad nurses, especially in metropolis areas, like we said, to get a, a new a, a job as a new grad. So it's now morphed into initially supporting new grads and getting a job. And so it guarantees them a job in 90 days or less at a premium facility, just because this system that I created is having so much success. Um, I put that guarantee on it and the majority of the individuals that are going through the program are actually doing it in about half the time. They're doing it in a for, about the 45 day mark. And not only are they going from like having to put in 20 to 30 applications to maybe get a call back and maybe even hear nothing, just crickets, to getting multiple offers, like a bunch of interviews, multiple offers, getting to pick more or less where they want to work. So it's been really fulfilling 
in regards to just seeing them experience success through a program that I created out of a passion to see new nurses succeed. And so, um, yeah, there's a Facebook group that they can jump on, just uh, t- search Next Level Nurses on Facebook. So there's a free group there that we add some value in. Uh, if they're interested more so in the in the coaching side of things and like the job help, nextlevelnurses.com is uh, kind of details what is in the program. And then also just reaching out to me directly. It's Ben, B-E-N at nextlevelnurses.com, or what is it? B-E-N at nextlevelrns.com uh, is another way to get a hold of me directly. And uh, so essentially just Next Level Nurses is a group that is highly invested in seeing new nurses win to come alongside them hand in hand, guide them through the job process, and then continue to offer some support as they climb the learning curve as a new nurse. Amazing. And one last question we like to ask all of our guests before we end the show. So if you had the opportunity to have a cup of coffee one last time with anybody, who would it be and why? That's great. Is it, uh, are there any limits? Can it be? Dead or alive. Okay. Awesome. So for me, it would be Jesus Christ, uh, a man of strong faith. And I don't know if uh, he's a coffee guy, but <laughs> uh, I think it'd be awesome. A wine guy. Yeah, he's more of a wine guy. <laughs> We've he'd have to do uh, maybe start it off with a glass of water and we'll, we'd finish it off <laughs> with a couple glasses of wine. Uh, so, and the reason being is... Uh, yeah, I believe that he's the author and designer of the world. And, you know, it'd be awesome to, you know, throw like Elon Musk into the mix. Um, you know, some of those individuals that have done great things, Steve Jobs, just like geniuses of our time and high, high achievers. Yet the reason I would pick JC over all those individuals is uh, just because he... He he uh, it is just like all knowing, all understanding. Um, I would love to pick his brain on like design. I love nature, so uh, you know, like why he did what he did, and you know, it's like the unlimited uh, information wellspring there. So that would be that'd be my guy. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ben, thank you for your time hopping on the show. There's so much more to talk about, like nurses eating their young, how to. Hospitals retain nurses, so maybe yep. I'll have another show for that, but you got it. Thank you for getting on, sharing your wealth of knowledge for what you do for new grads to help them get their job because we need more better nurses in the workforce and ultimately you're changing the culture by shifting new grads' perspectives on how they should be as nurses. So thank you for that. Keep doing what you're doing and we'll see you on the next episode maybe. Awesome. You got it. Yeah, I would love to come on again and, and chat with your group, get a good conversation going with you guys and Appreciate your time uh, today and what you guys are doing for the nursing community. It's uh, very needed, uh, you know, this informational content and these important conversations. So good on you guys for creating a space for that. Awesome. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you guys.